Hey, what's up? It's your boy, Corey Deanna Lewis, founder of The Healthy Project and host of The Healthy Project Podcast. My mission is to bring awareness to health and wellness concerns that are impacting our communities. On this podcast, you'll learn strategies to improve your health from health professionals from around the world that are trying to make an impact in people's lives. Enjoy. Hello, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Healthy Project Podcast. I am your host, Corey Dion Lewis. I have a great guest in the building today, uh, Chief Medical Officer of Broadlawns Medical Center and Vice President of Medical Affairs, um, Dr. Yogesh Shaw. Dr. Shaw, thank you so much for being on today. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Corey, for inviting me. Yes, absolutely. Like I said before, I've been I've been really interested and excited to have you on for so long. Um, but before we get into the topic at hand today, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what gets you up in the morning? Sure. Wonder. Yes, definitely. I did my medical school in India, in Bombay, big city of Bombay, uh, many years ago. Now that city is called Mumbai and then came to small town in Iowa, in Mount Air, Iowa, Corey. So the city <laughs> I grew up, Bombay, was the population was 11 million people when I left Bombay in the uh, in 1990s. And Mount Air, the population was uh, 1,765. But I came, I had to come. It was a selfish reason uh, to do my visa conversion so I can get green card, but fell in love with Iowans in Iowa and decided to stay here. So, but during the journey, I realized I didn't have enough tool uh, to take care of elderly Iowans. So went to the Mayo Clinic and focused on geriatrics, uh, but came back to Des Moines because my wife uh, said, uh, Rochester is too cold. So we came back to Des Moines and then practiced. And then opportunity came where I was asked to become the founding dean of global health at Des Moines University, so, which I did. Travel around the world, uh, saw the healthcare in many countries. And during that time, I focused and did uh, MPH, Masters of Public Health, with the focus on population health and social determinant of health. And then now here I am at Broadlands as the CMO. Wow. And with and I think from what I understand, you founded the first uh, palliative care program here at, at Broadlands as well. Yes, yes, I did. I during as a Mayo Clinic, I did my geriatrics and part of that I also took the national board for uh, palliative and hospice management medicine. So, I, yes, I did find that uh, group uh, of palliative care here uh, at Broadlands. That's awesome. And with, with your experience, Dr. Shaw, like it, it makes sense that you're in the leadership role you're in. And, and that's why I really wanted to talk to you specifically about, you know, health equity and, and health disparities because of, you know, the population that we serve at Broadlands. So um, from your point of view, you know, what does you know, we hear a lot about health equity? You know, so what does that really mean? Yeah, yeah, Corey, what basically in a some simple word, what equity, especially health equity, it means is consistent quality of care to anyone. So if I 
uh, as a physician, whether I see white person, black person, brown person, rich, poor, farmer, or a CEO, we are supposed to provide the same consistent care for their issue. I don't change based on who the patient is uh, and provide. So that consistent care is the health equity. Unfortunately, uh, in the US, we have significant inequity that the health is uh, it's not provided equally to everybody. And it's and that creates a lot of problems. Uh, there are lots and lots of statistics, a lot of examples. Just to give you two simple, two important but meaningful things that unfortunately the infant mortality rate and the stillbirth rate is much higher in African-American uh, patient populations. It's almost twice high in uh, African-American women compared to white Caucasian women, everything being equal, education and others. Uh, so so that's, the, that's a big worry for me. In the second area, which Broadlands we are trying, we work on is mental health. That only one third of African-American patients uh, access and have access to mental health compared to what they need. So, so there are, there's a lot of inequity in spite of, Corey, in spite of we spend highest amount per capita of our money. So, so just to give you numbers, $3.8 trillion, $3.8 trillion with T is our health cost. But still, uh, and that's almost 10% of our, 20% uh, of our GDP, you and me, on an average, it comes to about 20% of uh, our gross domestic product amount for American. But still, we are not the best. So it, it, it's a, quite a concerning for me, both as a physician, uh, as a public health person, and as a as a leader. It's a very concerning. Yeah, you know, my, my follow up to that is, you know, because you you said something when you were talking is that you know even comparing you know a black woman and a white woman with you know same education, same everything, there's still this disparity. You know, why is that? You know, it, what is going on that we feel like is um, causing that gap? Uh, yes. So what happens? And let me. It's a, it's a it's a complex issue. Let me try mm -hmm. to summarize by one phrase, one word. Uh, it's called social determinants of health, meaning that that the areas outside of hospitals, outside of our clinic, where people are born. They educate themselves, they work, they retire, and then they pass or die. That area, that zip mm -hmm. code is called the social determinants of health. Uh, and unfortunately, what we do in our hospitals, in our clinics, is only 20% of our health. So your and my health and your listeners' health, it's only 20% is medical care dependent. 30% of our health is our behavior, which you know very well, whether what we eat, whether we smoke or not, and how much exercise we do. So that, that's 30% of our health. And then bulk of our health, 50% of our health is the social determinants of health. 
in nutshell, Corey, it's your and my zip code and your listeners' zip code. Our zip code where we live is more important than our genetic code. Wow. Let me repeat that. Yeah, yeah. Let me repeat that. That it there is a significant difference in life's life long how long people live. It depends on where they live, on our zip code. And it should not be. And that's what the social, so why the difference? It's that that's the social determinants of health. That that people unfortunately might live where they might not have safe neighborhoods. They might not have safe uh, or good nurse places where they can go and have healthy, healthy food. They might not have trail. Uh, there might be more gun violence. And that causes a lot of, lot of age difference. Uh, gap between how long people live just to give you an example in in kansas and there are lots of the robert wood johnson foundation has done great work in this area to give you an example of cities around us in in kansas city the difference between the richest and the best healthiest zip code and the poor zip code is 14 years of life 14. Uh, wow. in, in in atlanta the similar would be 17. In uh, and same thing, and we think, oh, Iowa, we are all protected. No, in Iowa, that is about seven years. The difference between the poorer part of uh, Iowa mm -hmm. and, and the richer part of Iowa. So it's a significant thing. And luckily for Broadlawns, and that's where we are. We are in one of the poorest zip code of Oak County, 50314. And our mission is to make our community healthier by by we all working together. Yeah, and and that really played um, that really played out during the past year or so with the pandemic. Um, really trying to get the uh, community healthier. What have you um, noticed, or you know, in your opinion, how has the pandemic? Um, shone a light on health disparities and health equity. How is that? How do you see that? Unfortunately, uh, or fortunately, the pandemic has exposed all the issues of uh, inequity to us. Meaning, uh, just to give you, again, some numbers, the African-American death because of COVID is 3.5-fold higher than Caucasian. A uh, lot more African-American and Latino uh, had COVID positive compared to compared to Caucasian. Multiple reasons. It's a multifactorial. And this is in Iowa, nationally, two, internationally, but also in Iowa. Three reasons mainly. One, uh, the COVID has direct connection with uh, chronic conditions. So if I am obese, I have hyper, uncontrolled hypertension, uncontrolled diabetes, uh, then my chance of becoming positive because of this COVID is much higher. And that's what happened. That, that African-American and uh, unfortunately Latino community is higher on mm -hmm. many, many conditions. Second, that, that I, uh, it's my social determinants of health, meaning if now I'm living in a multi- generational homes, one person gets COVID, there's no room to quarantine or isolate that person. Now suddenly 
nine, nine other family members are positive. Second, unfortunately, I didn't finish my high school education. So now I had to work or job work where I had to work early job. I have to go and work uh, unlike hopefully us where if I was positive, I could have taken time off or paid time off or PTO and, and stayed home. Uh, or my wife can, uh, does that from home now. So that they couldn't do it. So I have to go and work uh, to make my daily living, $10 to $12 per hour. That's second. And third, since I don't have car, I'm taking public transportation mm. uh, to go to my work. And now if I'm positive or if I'm, it's even symptoms, I'm exposing many other people in the similar boat as I am. So those, that two big areas uh, did affect uh, and cause the COVID difference gap, a uh, higher level, higher number in the African-American population than it could have been. So that's, there's a lot we have learned. Uh, the question then becomes what and how much are we going to do as a system? Right, right. And that leads to my next question. You wrote a great article for the Des Moines Partnership. Um, and then there you talked about in the earlier stages of COVID-19 outbreak, uh, statistical demographics illustrated that COVID-19 disproportionately impacted Iowans of color. Um, Hispanics and, and Latino Iowans compromised, I think, comprised 2.6% of the state population. Um, but in April 2020, Hispanic and Latino Iowans accounted for 16.4% of positive COVID tests um, and Black Iowans who represent 4% of the state's population um, represented 11% of the positive COVID tests. So, you know, my my question to that, and, and there was a, a lot more you talked about, you know, um, upstream investments. Uh, one, you know, what, you know, how can we improve that and what is kind of the uh, health system's role in um, helping these um, communities of color. No, great. So yes. So what what the solution for these problems? Yes, for COVID or uh, post COVID or pre COVID. Mm -hmm. What can hospital systems or we can do? That would be upstream investment. What does it mean? So just to what happens, uh, Corey? In unfortunately, in our healthcare system in the U.S. Every dollar we spend, so as I mentioned earlier, we spend $3.8 trillion for healthcare. And every dollar we spend for healthcare, we spend only half, we spend 50 to 90 cents for upstream investment, fixing our education system, housing, food security, transportation issues, others. While in the developed, countries around the world, especially in the European countries, for every dollar they spend downstream on health itself, they spend $2 upstream. That, they, that education mm -hmm. is universal. Transportation is available. Food security is not a big problem. So what are the, the four to five areas I'm concerned about is, and not necessarily in that priority is housing. It has studies after studies have shown that if I'm homeless, I am going to utilizing e emergency rooms and hospital system more frequently 
than somebody who has a stable house. Housing is a big issue for health. Of course, socially, but also for health. Second, healthy nutrition. Not just starvation and hunger, but also healthy food. So that, that we have to focus on. Third, transportation. If I don't have my car, and if the, I don't have any public transportation near my house, in my zip code, to come to broad lawns, I will tend to postpone my visit, cancel my visit, not go for my visits till I can find the transportation because I don't have the money for Uber or Cab. So that, that, that's an issue. The violence, the, unfortunately, some of the poorer zip codes have also more social violence. So, uh, and, and the fifth one is, hopefully it's getting better, is utilities. If I have a home, uh, but I don't have appropriate air conditioning now, uh, talking about air conditioning, tomorrow it's gonna to be 100 plus, but if I, my AC is not working, of course I'll have some health issue. And then I would not have tra transportation. So those those four five areas, if we can work on as a healthcare system, slowly but surely will improve our health. So what is Broadloans doing? Luckily, luckily Broadloans has done significant work in this area. We call this program as a teach and tech program. Yeah. And what it stands for in short is uh, we train. Uh, high school high school graduates or people who are going to graduate in 10th and 11th to give them the training in health field through giving them certified nurse assistance program, CNA, a free through Broadlands. Similar internship we do for adults. We call it a teach for adults where Adults who might not be able to find regular job because of their past, their maybe misdemeanor or minor felony, we train them for the similar CNA program where after acquiring this certificate, they can work within broad loans or work in some of the other healthcare systems. So slowly by some kind of programs like that where I finished my high school education. I'm now working that overall system will slowly get better. Yeah. And, and, a, and a big shout out to Dennis who kind of runs that program and you see the the benefits, you know, I've, I've heard from, you know, alumni or people who've gone through it and say, this has been the, um, the best paying job I've ever had. And that allows them to do, some of the things we've been talking about, it allows them to have, you know, a better place of place to live. It allows them to maybe eat healthier or do some of the things that they couldn't do before. And there's, there's a kind of, a, there's a confidence booster for feeling like you're not only do you have a, you know, a job, you have a profession, you're doing something that's, you know, good for the community. So that's, that is awesome. Um, Dr. Shaw, you know, what, you know, you know, the, the pandemic, we've talked about a lot of really um, serious, you know, issues, but what are some, um, what's the light at the end of the tunnel? What are some positive things you see? You know, um, we've talked about the teach and tech program, which are great. Uh, what are some positive things that you see um, that are going on now that, you know, that we can be kind of proud of and see that there, there is that light at the end of the tunnel? 
good Corey. yes there is uh, there is light at the end of the tunnel and there is always few positives out of any disaster so i there are a few good let me let me point out three to you one due to this pandemic i personally realized and we all realized the strength uh, we have within our people with our within our team and leaders at broad launch and outside so we in a very short time uh, i was able to bring 20 leaders within broad launch and meet regularly almost uh, every other day in the beginning every week afterwards to talk about how to tackle this new condition pandemic so that's teamwork within the teamwork outside we the chief medical officers of five major systems broad launch mercy one unity point the va and iowa clinic we were able to come together very quickly to work as one team and come up with policies about how visitation when should we not have visitors come in or when should we stop the surgeries elective surgeries so that that became teamwork became very obvious that's a positive second we were forced to use telehealth more frequently than normally we would have used. And that telehealth uh, helped, especially for behavior health, helped to cut down our no-show rate significantly. Before COVID, because it was all in person, our no-show rate was anywhere between 20 to 30%. People just couldn't come because of transportation or mm -hmm. other issues I mentioned. And, but with that telehealth, that issue was kind of taken care of. So our no-show rate drops uh, significantly. So that, that's a positive and telehealth is here to stay. And the third thing, which is I'm very proud to say that's a big success, uh, is uh, both within our community statewide and maybe nationally, is that we were uh, encouraged to work outside of our wall. And in our case, Broadlands developed a very positive partnership with Corinthian Baptist Church, happens to be in our neighborhood, happens to be mainly for African-American population, and one of the largest. And we, we had a very successful free vaccine clinic on March 27th uh, in, within the church premises, which became a great success, more than 1,100 of community members came, 60% happened to be African-American. Oh, and, and that model now has become such a success that, that uh, the state governor and others are asking us to look into that how can we develop faith-based communities and health-based communities work together to take care of some of the social determinants of health issues. Right. You got to go where the people are. We exactly good, good point. You brought up very, let me, yes. So what did we, what else have we learned from COVID? A um, few things. One is we have to change our model and go where people are, telehealth, uh, because they can't come to us or they will not come to us. Second, we have to do better planning about how to care our elderly, whether they are in nursing home or they are living on their own because we realized that they unfortunately became 
very vulnerable with this new virus. Mm. So uh, we do good job, but COVID made us more realize that we have to talk in the interracial language, not just in their language of their mother tongue, but talk where people and how they can understand. Uh, because COVID, everybody had different view about COVID. Some people say, hey, in the beginning, uh, many African-American population people I talk, they say, hey, it doesn't affect us. It's mainly disease of the white. Right. So, just telling in English that, hey, no, it's for everybody doesn't help. You have to understand why that's coming from. So so we learned, learned a lot on that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And and even, you know, from, you know, even speaking with people from from other cultures about, you know, COVID-19 or even about their health in general, if if you can't speak to them in a way that they understand this, it's not going to get all the way through and you you can't really help that person if you can't really get through to them. So sometimes you have to like, like we've been talking about, come to where they are. And, and like you said, speak how they speak so we can actually make, make a true impact. So true. So true. So we have learned that. And are we doing it all the time? No, but at least we are aware of it and slowly mm -hmm. uh, we'll make it part of our system. Yes, absolutely. Um, Dr. Shaw, thank you so much again for your time uh, being on the podcast. If anybody listening wanted to um, get to learn more about broad lawns, the things that we're doing, get to learn more about you, uh, where can they connect with you at and, or where can they find you? Sure, uh, definitely. I'll uh, I'll give you a link to the video, of which we summarizes what we just talked, uh, and give some more numbers. So I'll I'll send you that. Feel free to send it to your listeners, uh, and in that is also my email and contact number. Feel and people can contact either you, and you can forward the questions or concerns to me, or directly email me. Awesome. Awesome. Well, again, hey, thank you so much for your time, Dr. Shaw. And everyone, thank you for listening. I'll let you next time. Thank you.